0: Revelations chapter 3. And today we'll be, uh, we're at the Church of Sardis. Um, the Church of Sardis, it's one of those churches that in the Bible we don't hear much, we don't know much about. We don't know who was sent to them uh, initially, we don't know a whole lot about them. Um, but God gives this church a very harsh talking to, to say the least. So in Revelation chapter 3, we'll start reading in verse 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis, write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works is complete in the sight of God. Now that first verse alone, I know your works. You have the reputation or the name of being alive, but you are dead. You know, compared to the other churches we we hear Christ talk about when he's speaking to them, it usually starts off with some kind of commendation for what they've done good. You know, in Ephesus, he he tells them, I, I know your works, you toil, and your patient and endurance. He starts off that with them. And then um, Smyrna, he says, I know your tribulation and your poverty and the slander and all that you deal with. Pergamum, I know where you dwell. You're in Satan, where Satan's throne is, but you hold fast my name. Um, Thyatira. I know your works, your love and faith and service, but the church of Sardis, there's nothing like that. And that's, to be that messenger, to get that, that had to be a gut punch to think, you can't say nothing good about me. He says, you know, verse 1 says, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. So there, according to Christ is what he's saying here is, your, your reputation or your name is another word for reputation. Is you have the look of being a Christian. You have the name of being a Christian, but there's no fruit or works that are evident of that. You know, this the church that at one point had it together. Yeah. You know, one of the, one of the uh, commentaries I read on this, John McGarrett, actually think a
1: very good uh, picture of this. He talks about the stars, and he says that a star, you know, they you get so far away and they have to measure back in light years. Right. I mean, a light year is something like an entire year of travel, like 186,000 miles per second. Well, he says that a star, when a star burns out, it could have burned out five years ago. You won't know it's burned out until 20, 25 years from that point. Right. So it appears to still be right. It appears to still be doing God's will, but inside it's dead.
0: Because it's not a very old church. I mean, it's, I think, 65, 70 A.D. is the time frame of when this was written. So it's not a very old church. And so, they like you said, they started off good, but um, they're dead. Turn to um, Matthew 7.15, and I want to read a few verses. You know, it says there, wake up, I mean, I'm sorry, you have the reputation to be alive, but you are dead. Well, something's not, what, what, what does it mean alive? What are they trying to say? So we're going to read Matthew 7.15, we'll read verse to verse 20 because apparently there was no fruit at all whatsoever in this church. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every good tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Of all people to know what a godly church should be like would be Christ. And he went in there and he saw no reference to anything that was Christ like. Um so this, this church was just going through the motions of, of what it was uh, doing. Uh, give you a little history on the church of Sardis to may explain why things had gotten this way. Like I said, nothing was mentioned in there about it. Sardis, it was in West Central Asia Minor. It was um, the capital of the ancient kingdom of Lydia and a wealthy and important commercial trading center. And as a pagan city, Sardis was home to the well-known temple of Artemis, which still exists in ruins the church at Sardis was surrounded by paganism, idolatry, but failed to stand out amidst the darkness. In the ruins, all the stuff I've been looking up, because I think in 1914 is when they started excavating the ruins, and they're still excavating today, cleaning it up and everything. But one thing you see in the city and in the synagogue, you see see the, the synagogue, but right next to the synagogue is the Roman bathhouse. Right next to that There's uh, shops. Right next to that, there's altars. Right next to that, there's Roman gods. Right next to that, there's this and that. So we've seen a church that was amongst the people, but it was no different than the people. They just conformed to what was around them. So they just had the name of being a church.
1: Right. Is it other Christians or is it people who are worshiping pagan God? It seems like they were more of people pleasers than they were godly. Whatever, whatever makes us look good in front of man, not what makes us
0: uh, obedient and righteous in God. Right. Verse 2 says in Revelations chapter 3 Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. So apparently Christ saw some people there that were actually Christian, that were actually saved. But he he told them, wake up and strengthen what remains, because they're about to die. They're about to, you know, they're not going to be here much longer. So you need to strengthen strengthen them up. Jude... um, through 22 says, But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, In the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear. Hate even the garments stained by the flesh. I love those verses there because it just reiterates what Christ said in verse 2. Wake up and strengthen what remains. We as brothers and sisters, we need to be constantly strengthening up each other because like we were talking earlier, this was a young church. Wales Baptist Church has been here since, um, well, it became Baptist in the 80s, I believe it was. How long was it around before that, Mac? Do you know? I'm not sure. But we could end up like this church. You know, we could have started off strong, but unless we build each other up and keep each other accountable, we could be that people. I think it's important to ask the question like what,
1: what made this church dead? What, what are the danger signs of the church that is dead? In dead? I mean, what are What does a dead church look like? Right.
0: With that. Well, they're no longer relying on God's spirit, God's power to run anything. They're just going off the reputation and going with it. And the leaders are just doing their thing. And it's causing the church to die. Another thing, I think the church is right now but
1: more focused on, I'm talking as a whole, I'm not talking about this church in general, more focused on being. in man rather than pleasing God. I
0: mean, how do you pack a church? And pull the worldly people, how do you draw people in? Like, like the world. Uh, yeah, and we, you know, Christ demands perfection from us. Are we ever going to be perfect? No. But we can't settle for less. Most churches you hear from, and I'm not dogging churches that I know they mean well, but they'll say progress over perfection. That's not what Christ says. He demands perfection. And if we're striving for anything less than perfection, we're going to sell ourselves short. Verse 3. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief in the night, and you will know not what hour I will come against you. Like Chris was saying, what what did they... Um, Receive and heard. We really don't know because we know nothing about this church. But like I was saying earlier, they, there's nothing about Christ in there. And the thing that came to my mind was the, the seven I am's of Scripture that you hear about in John. And I think if this church um, had these values, that there would be no way that there would be a dead church. And John, does anybody know the seven I am's in John by chance offhand? Anybody think of them? I am the bread of life, John 6, 35. I am the light of the world, John eight twelve. I am the door of the sheep, John 10, 7, 9. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. And I think the reason why those seven I am's are important because if you go back and look at these other churches, you see Christ doing that same thing. I gave. I do this. I, you know, it's all about Christ because it's Christ's church. And we see a church that there's nothing about Christ, it's just about themselves and their reputation. But I think if they can get back to focusing on Christ and Christ alone and not the church, not blending in, not trying to be like everyone else around them or just complacent, things would get better. The second part of uh verse three. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief in the night, and you will not know what hour I will come against you. You know, we've heard that verse a ton of times, and I've heard it uh, brought out of this, but I never really thought about it. I was trying to figure out why I've heard it, but what does that really mean other than that? And in my studying, and I've heard several people lead to this, Christ was also giving them a history lesson. Because the thing about the church of Sardis is they um, failed a couple times in war in, in things that they shouldn't have failed because the the, Sardis, the city of Sardis was set on a big mountain, big, steep mountain, high fortifications. They were unstoppable, untouchable. Nothing should have gotten through to them. But in, 45, in 49 B.C., the city was protected by a mountain fortress. When enemies attacked, the people of Sardis would flee to the fortress with the steep rock face of the mountainside, protecting them from all foes. With vigilant sentries guarding the walls, the fortress was impenetrable. It was a different story, however, when those guards fell asleep. After uh, Croesus had unsuccessfully attacked the Persian army of Cyrus, he fled to his citadel to wait out the siege. Cyrus offered reward to any of his his men who could find a way to penetrate the fortress wall. One of the Persian soldiers saw a guard drop his helmet. Climb down the wall to retrieve it and climb back up. That night, the Persians used that same route to scale the mountain and attack the fortress. To their surprise, when they arrived at the top, all the people of Sardis were asleep, including the soldiers. The conquest was swift and almost effortless. That was in 549 BC. Uh, and this information I'm getting is getting from the history books. That's how I'm knowing this because I know the Bible doesn't say nothing about this, but if you look at the history books and look at the old Jewish texts, all this is in there. In 218 B.C., that same uh, exploit that was used was performed by a Cretan uh, Gorus, who scaled the heights and captured the city for Antiquus the Great after Sardis failed to be watchful. They did the same thing again. So I think it's kind of ironic Christ is kind of giving them a history lesson you because know, they know what he's talking about they've already fell twice. They were this great city and they fell twice. And now they're under Roman rule. So he says, I will come like a thief in the night, and you will not know what hour I will come against you. Because they were asleep. And that's what we see in, in verse um, 2. He's saying, wake up. Strengthen what remains. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 43, Jesus said, But thou Would have it and let it it, right. So, that's what Jesus, Jesus wake up the right. And had they, but had they been focused on Christ, been focused on what they were originally taught, they might have been looking out. But there was nothing of Christ, no commendation for what they had been doing. Um. But there's some positive again in verse four. Yet you still have a few names of Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. So it's going back to what it's saying. If you strength, they still have a few there that um, are going to conquer this, that um, still have names in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. They're not stained by the world. They're not part of the pagan system going on. They're not part of just all the evil that's around them. They're still holy. And he said, "They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy." Um, and it, and I did do some more digging on the history, and apparently something must the church must have lasted a little uh, for a while longer because um, there was a bishop uh, Melito of Sardis, who was born around 100 A.D. and he was the bishop of the Church of Sardis, and. Um, he was actually developed the first Old Testament canon uh, combined all of them into the 24. I think he had 26 books is what it was. But he was a, the pastor of this church years later. So apparently they did take heed to what was being taught To the, from the letter. They did take heed from that because that church was still around later. It just did not stay dead. And that, that should give us hope. You know... Yeah, we may falter, we may fail, but as long as you repent and um, turn back to Christ, God will still use you. Verse 5, The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. We have to conquer this. We can't give up. We can't sit back, get idle. We can't just uh, go with the flow. We have to be constantly, our faith has to be in our forefront. Christ has to be in our forefront, and we have to just keep going forward because until we take our last breath, you know, you've heard Kevin say, Nick say a few times, you know, they're just one bad decision away from being on the other side of the fence. We don't have it all together, but we got to conquer this walk of life. Um.
1: Uh, when you when you look at verse 4, when you read more of the history about the Sardis, they're actually, uh, they think
0: they were the first people that discovered how to stain uh, wool and, and stuff, stuff like that. Yeah. Like that. So he's talking about them soiling their garments. This doesn't mean messing the past. This means staining your garments. Right. The original. So it's, it's, it's uh, pretty Be- obvious. And it too about um, and I had read something on that too, because in those times to go to the the temple of Artemis, I think is what it was, you had to wear like a white robe or something. It had to be white. They couldn't be have a smudge, couldn't have a stain, it had to be solid white. So he keeps referencing back to stuff they'll understand, but also tied into what it means too for us, because the only way we're gonna enter heaven is with white robes. We have to um we can't have the stain of this world on us. We can't love the world and love Christ and say, okay, I'm here. I'll give you half. He wants it all. And we can't, uh, when people look at us, they have to see Christ and not see the stain of the world on us. Um, verse 6 He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, how does this apply to us today? We've talked about it, but. You know, you see, like Chris was saying earlier, you see a lot of churches. Um. And I bring up worship. It's more like a concert than it is. It's what they get, what pleasure they get, than giving glory to God. Um, It's more about fancy seating, fancy this, fancy that, and nothing about God. You see movies, you see movie stars, oh, give it an award. I just want to thank God living like hellions the rest of the time, but yet we let our kids look up to them. You know These sports stars, it's all about them, all about money, all about them. They'll claim God, and then, of course, in the news, you'll see something else that they've done. we got to be set apart. It has to be on Christ. We have to recognize that Christ is the bread of life. He is the light of the world. He is the door of the sheep. He is the res- resurrection of the life. He is the good shepherd. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And he's the true vine. Nothing else other than Christ matters in this world. And if we'd understand too, when he's, some people think, oh, he's talking to the, they think of it as like a church setting when he's talking to the people in here. How are we living our lives outside the church when we're not here? When, when Tara goes home and her neighbor, neighbor or sunflowers or someone, what does someone see? Do they see, Terror that we see, who loves God, serves God with all our heart, and soul, or do they see someone who just puts on a show and is a totally different person? You know, it's we got to be representing Christ in every aspect of our lives, no matter where we are, where we go, because Christ is not just looking in the church, at the church, because the church isn't a building; He's out there looking at us all the time with those laser beam eyes, like they talked about in Revelations one. He's seeing everything that we do. And nothing we do will be hidden from him, even though you think you're getting away with it. So just keep focused on Christ. Keep these. I love, I've learned so much more through these uh, churches this time going through it than I have before. Just uh and the thing about every church is we can pull stuff from every church to help our church here, what to do and what to avoid. So um did I go quick? Yeah. quick? But it was short, it was short too. <laughs> Anybody got any further uh, discussion? Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's important because we look at these churches and we fall into this category. We live through all
1: of them. We fall in this category as people and as churches as a whole. Somewhere in these seven churches, we fall in the category. So I think it's, it's good to evaluate. Church to ask those questions. This is important, and, and I, I'm trying to not to preach my message because if my message came out studying last week it was one thing led the other. But what causes church to be to, to be dead is what causes people to be dead. Sin. Right. So I think when he gets to the point where he's talking about wake up and strengthen what remains, he's not talking to the dead people. They can't wake up. They're dead. Right. Are still, Christians in this church, and he's telling them, Get them and address it now before you. The whole thing dies. It's just like we talked about last week when sin creeps in, it stains everything. If you don't address it, it carries through the whole entire thing. I think that's what we've seen here in this church is they weren't dead at one point, probably, but it
0: didn't take long when you don't address it for the whole thing to just go south. Yeah, and you can't. I mean, you talked about it the other day. You can't sit there and watch your brother or sister in sin and not address it. I'm thankful for people that if they see me doing something wrong or question about something, they'll come to me. I want that because I'll do that to you. I don't just do it to you. I expect it back in return. I know people think sometimes I'm harsh because I tend to be not confrontational, but I ain't afraid to say nothing if I see something. And that turns a lot of people off, but that's how we're supposed to be. Because if we're not that way, we're going to turn out like some of these churches in there. And heaven forbid, turn out like that dead church. We started off good. We got a name, Wales Baptist Church. But unless we um, keep doing what we're supposed to, Hebrews, um, we went through Hebrews, and that one verse, you know, encourage one another while it is today. Don't sit there and tell someone you're going to pray for them. And I've been guilty of it too. Hey, I'm praying for you. Do you really pray for them? Because I think if we pray for people as much as we say we pray for them, things would probably be a lot better. But if you say you're going to pray for someone, pray for them. Encourage them. Because some people are struggling with stuff you don't even realize, and then you'll call them and give them a call or send a text, and they're so grateful just because, and how did you know I needed that? Well, I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do. In order for us to make it in this world right now as crazy as it is we have to be encouraging one another strengthening one another up in love asked the question, what does a healthy church look like a healthy church
1: one that nobody ever has to correct one another we all pretend we all got together and we don't share Right. We're not saying, but is that what a healthy church looks like? Because how do I know if I'm, if I, especially if I'm young in the faith, how do I know if I'm not, if I'm not calling,
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Because too often we do too much talking behind the scenes with everybody, rather than actually talking to that person. Right. I've been guilty of it too. Um. Rather than talk to that person about the problem, we'll just sit there and talk about it with others. Is that really godly love? That's not. Quick to gossip, slow to grit. Yep.
1: Yeah. I think when we don't show um, our flaws, uh, we don't be real about what's going on in our life, people assume that they're the only one and
0: they don't realize
1: that you're struggling too and we're supposed to carry one another. Right. And Prideful. they and don't want to share that they're actually having a burden. And I mean you, you can't predict what they're going through. Right. They don't share it. But so that's where the being I, I, I don't know, in fellowship
0: comes in play. The small groups are big. I mean shoot, we do I'm not bragging or nothing, but we shoot we do two or three a week. And uh if it weren't for them small groups on top of the regular church stuff, I wouldn't be able to function because you you can leave the walls on Sunday. Devil's on you on Monday. And if you don't come on Wednesday, that's a long week. You know, or you leave. Huh? No, not usually. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. You need, you know, in the book of Acts, the church, you know, they fellowship broke bread with each other daily. They were at each other's houses daily. I'm not saying you go to Nicole's house every day or whatever. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying they, they treated each other like family. They walked through life together. So don't sit there and think we don't need each other because we need each other to get through this. Anything else? Oh, I understand you what you're like saying. You saying. I mean, think about it. Where where
1: was, was Eve in a group of people? Was she next to Adam whenever Satan approached her? Everything goes south when you're by yourself. That's exactly where he wants you to stay. He wants you to hide that sin because that sin just keeps growing more and more and more. I think what you're saying is you have to realize. out there are not that are just mad the sin. They might have went something through something that you're going through, but you have to be if nothing else to be willing to
0: listen. Like this guy gave us two ears or one mouth for a reason. Sometimes it's just listening. And it, helping somebody through something. And you gotta think too, God knows already what you done. And so if you keep it a secret and you don't get it worked out, that may cause more sin. So that's why it's important to to reach out to each other. Seven thirty I thought I did pretty good I usually talk faster than that I think I was trying to s- slow my northern down yeah I know I know um, I guess you can fellowship with each other I know several of us got youth in here so we'll be sitting here um Tim you want to close in prayer
1: strength from your word, dear Lord, to study your word and to let each other know that we love we're here for you we're here for them dear Lord, just help us walk your path, dear Lord in Jesus' name we pray